Good morning and welcome to Clear Creek. My name is Josh. I'm one of the ministers and it is a privilege to be part of this church. If you are new to Clear Creek or new to church in general, just a big welcome and, and, and thank you for choosing to join us today. For all of you in the cafe or joining us online, welcome. We're so glad to be together as we start this new year together. And, and, and friends, I mean, this is the new year. Can you believe it is the year 2020 already? Show of hands, how many of you remember Y2K? How many of you have no idea what Y2K is? How many of you are feeling really old right about now? How many of you think the old people... No, okay, we'll just stop that, okay? My goodness, new year. And depending on who you talk to, some say, well, it's a new decade. Others say, well, no, it's not a new decade because 10 is the end of, you know, a 1 through 10 sequence. Others say, yeah, but it's a 20, not a 19 or an 18. Or a... It's a new year. And it is, wherever you're starting and however you're counting it, we, we are beginning a new decade in some sense. We're, we're starting this new moment in time. And as we have been thinking about as Butch so rightly pointed out, the last year, in the last 10 years, I know for some of us, we look back over the last year or the last 10 years, and we look back with fond memories. We see the, the birth of our children or the birth of grandchildren. We see that moment where she said yes or he said yes. We see that moment where we got the parchment from school. We saw as parents that final college bill, can I get a witness? And it was good. And some of you, you're going, oh, it's been a great year, a great 10 years. And then others, you just go, whew, I sure hope the next 10 are better. And then some of us, we go, well, I remember where I was 10 years ago because this happened. Or maybe you have one of those little helpful features on social media where it will show you what you looked like 10 years ago and then shows you what you look like today. And you go, oh man, it's been a rough 10 years. But it's the start of something new. And I've been wondering, what is it that God might want to do in your life and in the life of our church over the next 10 years? It just turns out that we are coming into a season and a series called Epiphany. Everyone say the word epiphany with me. Are you ready? One, two, three, epiphany. And you say, what does that word mean? What is that all about? Well, According to church history, one of the holidays or holy days in the church calendar takes place tomorrow on January the 6th, 12 days after Christmas. We'll get to that in a couple weeks. And it is the day where we celebrate or commemorate a very important event. The Day of Epiphany is a Christian festival observed on January 6th commemorating when the wise men or the magi met Jesus. That's tomorrow. You say, well, what does this word epiphany mean? Well, the word epiphany, if you want a real simple definition, it's simply an aha moment. And you think about it, the day of epiphany where we commemorate when the wise men meet the Savior of the world has ever been a bigger aha moment. And and I've been thinking about this idea of epiphany. How many of us would love it if God would show us himself just a little bit more this next year or this next decade. 
How many of us are just kind of going, boy, I need an epiphany. I need an aha moment. They come in big sizes. They come in little sizes. Epiphanies are happening all the time. In fact, a few weeks ago, my family was having dinner over with Ronnie and Iris Rogers. We were having a fantastic taco night. It was good. And in the course of the conversation, they began to tell a story of their daughter, Olivia, because they had just recently purchased a vehicle, and as part of the sales agreement, since Iris is the quintessential saleswoman, she was able to kind of haggle, and so she got the company, the car company, to agree to include a couple of DVD players on the back of the headrests. So they install these, they get it home, they're so excited about it. And then they go to try to put a DVD into the headrests of these DVD players. And the passenger side works fine. You just drop it in the top, pop it shut, it rolls. But then they try to do it with the driver's side DVD player. And unfortunately, they couldn't get the DVD in the top because it was too close to the ceiling of the car. And so they begin to go, oh, well, what are we going to do? And they start to think through this. And it's like, well, we got to take it back to the dealership. We got to get them to fix it, all these things. And then their daughter, Olivia, with an epiphany moment, the wisdom of youth, she goes, um, <clears throat> why don't you just lean the seat back and slide that bad boy in? And they're like, epiphany, aha moment. And then another one occurred, they realized, wait a minute, Iris had to lift her seat up a little bit to drive. How many of you, like me, are vertically challenged and you need that extra height? And they said, well, we'll just lower the seat. It's an epiphany, aha moment. Here's the reality. Throughout the next year, the next decade, there are epiphany moments that God is preparing for you if, hear me now, you are prepared for them. The world is in desperate need of people who are wise enough to both see the need and see God's leading into those epiphany moments. So over the next four or five weeks, we're simply going to soak in the familiar but often ignored story of the wise men. And as we look at what the path of wisdom looks like, what does it look like for you and I to prepare for God's aha moment so that when this year is over, when this decade is over, if we are still around, that we may worship Jesus more fully and say he showed us himself in a brilliant way. And so, if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Matthew chapter 2, to the very familiar story of the wise men. It says this in Matthew chapter 2 and verse 1, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, magi from the east came to Jerusalem. And they asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now notice this next slide. When, the king, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and here's why. He is the king, the undisputed ruler of the area, and now he hears another king is coming. Hear me now. If you begin to follow Jesus, there will be those who oppose you. Many of us think that we should get a free pass for following Jesus. No, no, no. When you raise your hand to Jesus, you're automatically raising your hand to join his army and you are going to be opposing dark forces. And so he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him because he's crazy. And if he's mad, they're all scared. So when Herod called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, these are the people who knew the Bible, the Old Testament very well, He asked them where the Messiah, the chosen one, was to be born. Now notice this. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, 
Bethlehem in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come, hear this now, a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. This is a quote from the Old Testament book of Micah. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child, and as soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. How many of us know that's not really his plan? But he says, You go. Let me know. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and notice this, the star... They had seen when it rose, went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, this is an important word, house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshipped him. Now we're going to dive in. Who are are these guys? What's going on? This is an absurd story. This is not one of those stories that makes a lot of sense. After all, um, of all the people who would find Messiah, why is it that it's the Magi from the East? Now, to appreciate the absurdity of this, we need to know a little bit about them. We, We don't know a lot, but here's what we do know. First off, we're told that they are from the East, most likely ancient Persia, which, by the way, is modern day Iran. Anyone following the news of what's going on in Iran right now? So you have modern-day Iran people coming to Jesus. Isn't this an incredible story? Others say, well, maybe not uh, ancient Persia. It was most likely ancient Babylon. Well, that's okay because that is modern-day Iraq. And yet these are the men who come and find Jesus. In addition to this, we're told they're called magi. Magi, we get the word in English, magician, from the same word. These were simply men who were skilled at watching the stars and trying to discern the future by what was happening in the sky. This was an ancient and very common practice. So you have pagan worshiping, foreigners, Hundreds of miles removed from Jesus, and yet they are the ones who see something no one else sees. Next slide. Look at this. Why did the wise men get to see what no one else saw? Why is it that of all the people, they got to see it? And here's the key word. Are you ready? Because they were wise. Wisdom. You may want to jot this down. Wisdom is simply the right application of knowledge. Knowledge alone is not wisdom. How many of us know that we have more knowledge at our fingertips thanks to Google than any other generation before, and yet we are one of the most foolish people in history as well? And yet they had wisdom. So here's the key idea for our entire series. Go ahead and put this up on screen. Wise people see... Wise people see what others don't because, hear me now, they do what others won't. Wise people see what others don't because they will do what others won't. See, it's not about simply knowing something. It's how you then apply what you know. We all know this. This is obvious, isn't it? Uh, Let let me give you an example of this. Um, Don't raise your hand. But many of us in this room have made a New Year's resolution to um, lose some weight And so we've joined a gym. 
In fact, tomorrow morning when I get up, I will go to my gym that I've been a member of since we moved here practically, and it will be a madhouse. There will be people all over the place. They will be on every piece of equipment, and they will be treating every piece of equipment in their own unique way, right? Because it's, you know, I'm just going gonna, gonna to do this here, I'm going to do that there, and they're going to be all over the place for about two weeks. And then it's going to clear out. Now, here's the reality. We know, and you know, without ever going to the gym, you already know all the ways to lose weight. Eat fewer calories and exercise, correct? It's basic. Yet wisdom is not simply knowledge. It is the knowledge rightly applied. Wise people see what others don't because they will do what others won't. These wise Men, these magi, see a sight that no one got to see because they were willing to do what others did not choose to do. Which means that wisdom is not simply opportunity, it's a choice. So, so what, what's going on here? One of the things that I find so incredible about this story is the wise steps that they take. And each week, we're going to look at just one wise step each week that we can take like them to have epiphany moments. So here's the very first one. Are you ready? First wise step of 2020 is simply this. Put this up. Wise people follow the truth. Notice this now. Wise people follow the truth by studying the scriptures and their surroundings. Wise people follow the truth by studying scripture and the truth. Uh, I have a newspaper sitting on my desk. I forgot to bring that here, but here's the picture I want you to have. Wise people have the Bible in one hand and the newspaper of the world in their other hand. It is not either this or that. It's not either this or that. Here's, here's what I'd like for you to think about. Um, you may know what's going on around you. If you know your surroundings, that's okay. But if you do not know scripture, here's what ultimately will happen. If you're a student of the culture, you will read the headlines like the one on the newspaper sitting on my desk that talks about Iran being bombed and how there's tension growing in the Middle East. And what does this mean to the United States? And should we watch out for some sort of secret attack? And oh no, and what's going to happen? And if you study the culture around you, your surroundings, but you ignore the scriptures, here's what it's going to lead to. It'll lead to insecurity about your future because you'll see what's happening and you'll go oh no what's going to happen to us now i see what's happening i see the course of human history but i don't know what is going to happen now but if you know the scriptures then you will remember psalms chapter 2 where the psalmist writes why do the nations conspire Why do the peoples plot in vain? Verse 4 goes on to say, but the one enthroned in heaven laughs at them. He scoffs at all their plans. Because if you know both, you are not insecure. Now, there's other people who know the scriptures but ignore their surroundings, aren't there? There are people who are in the word of God but are content to let the world go to hell in a handbasket. And so we know scripture, but we ignore culture, and so we answer questions that no one is asking anymore. If this leads to insecurity, then scripture without your surroundings leads to irrelevance. You know stuff, but you are irrelevant to the culture because you don't know what they actually need. But when you have both the scripture and your surroundings together, it leads you to great insight. You know how to live Wisely. And notice, this is exactly what these guys did. Notice this verse. This is verse 2. Where is the one who has been born? Notice this. King of the what? 
of the what church? Of the Jews, not the king of Persia, not the king of Babylon. How did they even know about the king of the Jews? Answer, they had the Jewish texts. We'll talk about how they got those in a couple weeks. But they had the Jewish texts and they poured over them. These pagan men studied the word of God. And because they paid attention to what it said, they saw something others did not see. Contrast to them, you have another group of people who live in Jerusalem. You have Herod the king and you have all of the teachers of the law. And he gathers them together. He goes, hey, fellas, um, these wise guys from the east are showing up saying there's a new king. Where's this king supposed to be? And do you notice they already know the answer? They say, oh, well, you know, Micah tells us that he's going to come out of Bethlehem. See, you can know the truth and yet not be moved by the truth. They knew what was happening, yet they did not pay attention to what was going on. And now think with me for a moment here. These guys from the east, hundreds of miles away, saw what was going on, paid attention. But these men and women who were less than six miles from the birthplace of Christ church, that's less than distance from here to downtown Chattanooga. And they missed what happened in their backyard. We have seen, we know. Where's the one who's been born? King of the Jews. They had the scriptures, but notice this. We saw his star when it rose, meaning they were paying attention to what was happening around them. They were not simply observers of the scriptures. They were observers of their surroundings. And because they saw what was going on here and they could see what was happening and they paid attention to their surroundings, they had insight to experience and witness an aha moment that no one else got to see or experience. Now, here's the cool thing. Some people say, well, hey, tell us about the star. Everybody wants to know about the star. All right, so for those of you who geek out on this, here's a few theories of what the star was. Some people say the star was the tail of a comet. That's why it was moving. Other people say, no, 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 the star was a couple of planets that were overlapping in alignment, most likely in the constellation of Pisces, and so it was extra bright because they were together. Others still say, no, it it wasn't those things. Um, Maybe the charts that these guys observed, there were certain stars that represented the birth of a king and they saw the stars in the night sky and assumed that's what it was. And still others just say, you know what? It, we think God just created a special event. But here's the reality. Whether God created a special event or used any of these, scriptures again tell us that God is the one who orchestrates all things, that the heavens declare the glory of God, that the heavens literally are shouting out who he is if we will but look and watch. How much more so the surrounding culture in which we live, if we will but look to the scriptures and to our surroundings. Now, this reminds me of one of those moments in our recent past, and I say recent for those of us who are over the age of 30 or 40, but how many of you are familiar with the former video rental store Blockbuster? Anyone in here? You are my people. So, so let me just sort of explain this. So, so video rental, I need to break this down for some in our audience. So there was a time where you could not actually download, hang with me here, this is crazy, where you could not download and watch a whole movie on your phone. <gasps> I know, this is just, okay. And instead, what you had to do is you would get in these metallic objects, we, we put fuel in them, we call them cars, 
And you'd pile into one of these, usually on a Friday night, and you'd go to a store and you would rent these things called videos. So, okay, again, I'm sorry, let me explain a video. A video is like this, it looks like a book. It was the size of a book called VHS. How many of you remember VHS? And you'd put them in these things called VCRs, right? You just put that in there. And there you could take it home, put it in, watch it on your TV, and for two hours be entertained. Now, what did you have to do at the end of watching a VHS? Rewind it. You're going, wait, what is rewind? Yes, so you'd actually, like, it, it's been backwards. And then you take it back, and you return it, and you could rent another one. Now, you did not want to rent too many at a time, because you'd only want to rent as many as you could actually watch in the two to three days that you had to rent it. Because if you did not return them within the two to three days rental period, what happened, church? Oh, you got a late fee. Uh, I mean, a ridiculous late fee. If you were late, like one day, they, I mean, they owned you and your children and your grandchildren. At, at their height, Blockbuster had 60,000 employees. Over 9,000 store locations nationwide. Over 6 billion, with a B, billion dollars of revenue each year. And by the way, those late fees, of that $6 billion, 800 million were in late fees. How many of us helped contribute to those late fees? Thank you, Jesus, for putting them out of business. I mean, this is just, I mean, they took from us, right? Well, here's the reality. They were doing great business until this little upstart company came along and found that they could just mail you DVDs in the mail. So after the technology advanced, it's not VHS, but now it's DVDs. It's not so expensive. They could mail it to you, right? And then you didn't have a late fee. You would simply return it when you were done watching it. And so this little upstart company starts to grow and get success. They go to Blockbuster and they say, hey, we've got this great product. People love it. They hate the late fees and we don't charge them late fees. Why don't you buy us for $50 million? And they said, no. Are you kidding? We're making $800 million on late fees. Why would we do that? People don't mind paying late fees. So time progresses, and this little upstart company, because of the internet and the speed of things, begins to realize they can now not only send DVDs, but they can now stream videos through your devices at home. You don't even have to go to the store anymore. And so they come back to Blockbuster, and they say, hey, listen, why don't you buy us only $50 million? People love this. They say, people love coming to Blockbuster stores. After all, there's nothing quite like coming in. And perusing the aisles, right? You've got the comedy section. You've got the horror section. You've got the drama section. And then you've got new arrivals. And there's only like two or three copies of the movie you really want to see. And if you're not the first one there, someone else has already rented it. How many of you, just just real quick, just show your age for a moment. How many of you actually asked the clerk, hey, when are they supposed to be bringing that movie back? And when you were told 2 p.m. that day, you said, oh, wait, any of you do that? Okay, some of you are as desperate as I was for something to do on Friday night, okay? And so he said, no, people love coming to our stores. Turns out, people didn't love coming to their stores. Blockbuster ended up closing their business, right? 9,000 locations closed. 
60,000 people now unemployed. What is so interesting about this is the very last movie, I'm told, that they sold from the last store that closed was entitled, This is the End. The problem was they thought that they were in the VHS rental business. They weren't. They were in the home entertainment business. They had the wrong identity, which led to the wrong mission. They thought they were in this business when, in fact, they were in this business, and it messed them up. Hear me now. The scriptures show you who you really are. And then the culture, the surroundings show you how your identity is to impact your mission. So real quickly, I just want to give you real quick three things, how to study scripture and how to study your surroundings. Jot these down very quickly. Number one, let's just go scripture, all three of them real fast. Three things. You need a time, you need a place, and you need a plan. You need a time, you need a place, you need a plan. Hear me now. The very first thing on your to-do list is always your highest priority. If you do not choose to make studying the scripture your priority, the priorities of the world will press it out. You need a time to be with God. I don't know if you're a morning person or a night person. It doesn't matter. Maybe you're just a shower person. Whatever it is, you find time to study the scriptures, to read it, not simply for information, but for application like the wise men. You don't just need a time. You need a place. Say, this is my sacred space where I come before the king and I talk to him and I say, I'm laying my identity down at your feet. My vision for the next decade is at your feet. You tell me what I am here for. Parents, stop pushing your kids to get a particular degree in school and instead push your kids to meet with the king and let him tell them what they should do with their lives. And students, this doesn't mean... Drop out of school. Guess what? God can actually show you what you're called to do in your classes. But you lay down at his feet what he is calling you, and you let him lead you. A time, a place, and a plan. You say, what's a a plan? Very simply, you need to know what you're going to read. If you want to start at a simple place, go to the Old Testament book of Proverbs. There's 31 chapters. You pick the chapter for that particular day. So today is the fifth day of the month. Go to Proverbs chapter 5 and just read it. And some of you are saying, well, I, I, I just don't get much out of it. I have a letter sitting on our dinner table at home right now from a sweet member in our church. She has been a part of the body of Christ for decades. And in this letter, she said, hey, I, I've always wanted to study the Bible, but I never got it. It was boring. It was unclear. I didn't get it. But God began to do some cool things in her life, and she ended this sweet note by saying, I am now reading the book of Acts, and it is as exciting to me as any novel I've ever read. You get a time, a place, and a plan, and God will begin to speak to you in a way that captivates your heart and grabs your attention. So you start with studying Scripture. Study your surroundings real simply for three things. Number one, you need to watch. You need to ask questions and you need to listen. Watch what's happening, ask questions, and then listen. This morning, before I came here, I hadn't seen some of my friends at the local Starbucks where I visit. You guys know I go there. That's one of my places. I've got four or five places I go where I've really tried to get to know the people, pray with them, and and share the gospel. And this morning, as I was visiting with one of my favorite baristas, I just asked her point blank. I said, hey, you, you get a lot of Christians in here, don't you, after church? She goes, oh, yeah. That's not the response you really want from someone. I said, well, hey, so, so just be honest. What, what's your feeling towards Christians? And she said, 
and I cannot quote what she said, a colorful word about all of us. I said, really? I said, tell me why. She said, man, they go to church, they get their fix of Jesus, and then they come and they're absolute jerks to all of us. No, 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 no. This isn't to slap anyone here. Except, be nice. Okay, do that. Rather, listen to me. If you ask questions, all of a sudden, as you listen to what people are actually saying, scriptures will begin to fill in the blanks of how you ought to live in that moment. And so the words of God begin to come back to you, and you remember Jesus saying, I have not come to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. That I am here in this moment not to be served by a barista. See, she thinks she's serving me. But if I am the son of the king, if I am a missionary in this place, then I am really here to serve her. So I listen. I tip well. I ask how things are going. I know the name of her dog. I know where she was for Christmas. We talk about the things that are important. See, when you know and listen, you begin to apply the scriptures in that moment. So you watch, you ask, you listen. And here's what's going to be incredible. If you do that over the next year and the next decade, holding scripture and your surroundings in two hands, God is going to show up. And when you arrive this time next year, you will be in a place you cannot even imagine today. What would it look like this time next year? If when we gather in this place, we say together, wow, I I didn't see Jesus so clearly, but he showed me himself. I can't predict when your epiphany will happen this year, but I promise you, you can prepare for it. And the first step of the wise, you follow the truth by studying the scriptures and your surroundings every day.